In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp. I'm Zach Heilprin, no Jesse Temple, back with me tomorrow. Again, still looking for your feedback on whether you've liked these shows or not that we've done here for the last month, the daily shows that we have. Uh, if you do, let me know. DMs, Twitter, you can leave a review, you know, rate, subscribe, download, podcast, all that good stuff. Uh, just let me know what you think of it um, as we uh, look to potentially bring it back for fall camp, if people enjoyed it. Uh, I've gotten some great feedback already and really appreciate that from everybody that uh, has reached out and uh, certainly looking like we are going to continue doing this when uh, uh, fall camp gets going in July. So it really excited for that. But again, keep the feedback coming and uh, we'll see uh, what my bosses say, right? All right, coming up in the show today, going to be chatting with uh, Colton Bartholomew from the Wisconsin State Journal, get his take on spring, get his best offensive and defensive players he's seen this spring, best newcomer, um, and his biggest question coming out of spring as well. We're going to talk with him about all that and more. Uh, before we get to him, some news this morning. Wisconsin's game at Purdue on uh, the Big Ten opener, set for the third week of September, was supposed to be a Saturday. It's supposed to be Saturday, September 23rd. Instead, it's going to be September Friday, September 22nd. It's going to be a, a, a Friday night game, which I, I know everyone's really excited about that. Everyone's always very excited about Friday night games. Uh, there's You can hear the scar, sarcasm in my voice a little bit. It's, I think it's a little bit different when it's on the road. It's not nearly as big of an impact, I think, on high school football in the state of Wisconsin when those things are on the road. At home, it's a little bit different. But this will be the first time that they're playing one of these Friday night games, I believe, since before COVID. So it would have been uh, when they opened the 2019 season in uh, South Florida against uh, the Bulls down there and beat them. They also opened the 2017 and 2018 seasons at home. Um, both, all three of those games, though, were before Labor Day. This one is the, fir- this is the first time they're playing this late into September on a Friday night. Obviously, it has TV implications. Um, there's been no time set, no station, uh, no uh, channel set, no network set, I should say. So this is obviously stuff that's going to happen when you have that new TV contract, and this, the the impact of this is going to be felt. Uh, in a number of ways, and I think more Friday night games is probably uh, going to be a part of it. That said, Wisconsin has beaten Purdue 15 straight times. The last time Wisconsin lost to Purdue was 2003. The next year is when the this, this streak started, and that game was 2004. That's the famous Kyle Orton on the boot, gets helicoptered, Scott Starks picks it up, runs it back for the touchdown. I've always thought of that game as a night game, but when I went to see, I was going through the night games on the fact book this uh, this morning, you know, and just writing that story up and it came and I looked for it. And it wasn't there. And I'm like, what? that wasn't at night. And I went back and looked. It actually started kicked off at 440. So essentially night game. I'm going to consider it a night game. But either way, that's this is the first time Wisconsin has played Purdue at night since that game. And that's when everything started. Really, that's when the Purdue program went on a nosedive ever since that game, ever since that fumble. Uh, the Purdue program has not been nearly uh, what it was prior to that. Now, obviously, they've they've bounced back a little bit in recent years with Jeff Brom as their coach. He's now not there, obviously. He's at Louisville, and uh, Ryan Walter is now the, the head coach there. So it's going to be interesting. But yes, this is the first time Wisconsin will be playing a true night game at Purdue since uh, since 2004. That game didn't end until 845. It's definitely a night game. Don't 
uh, I'm not going to have this argument with anybody. So, um, it's look, I know there's a lot of people probably not happy with a Friday night game, and I certainly understand where they're coming from. This is what happens when you uh, pay a lot of money for a product, and that's what these TV networks are paying, and they're paying a pretty penny. It's why Wisconsin's able to pay certain coaches uh, the money that they've been able to pay them uh, is this increase in money that's going to be coming in, and these are the type of things that come along with it. So good and the bad, good and the bad. All right, let's get into our interview with Colton Bartholomew from the Wisconsin State Journal and Badger Extra. Yes, we do welcome in Colton Bartholomew from the Wisconsin State Journal and Badger Extra. Colton, appreciate your time. We are through 14 practices as we're recording this. Wisconsin going to be on the floor, by the floor, on the field on Thursday morning for practice number 15 to close things out. Before we get to what we've seen in spring ball so far, I do need to ask you about uh, the news that came out Wednesday morning about Wisconsin moving its game or having its game moved from a Saturday down at Purdue on the 23rd to the 22nd, a Friday night game, your just initial impressions of it. I think we know the reason for it. Uh, money, 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 money. But, you know, this is the first time Wisconsin, I believe, is going to be playing on a Friday night outside of the opener in quite some time, if ever. Yeah, uh, I can't remember. a mid. I, I was trying to look it up between availability and now, but I can't find a, a mid-season Friday nighter. Um, I believe it's the first... Friday night game besides uh what the Illinois or since the Illinois opener in twenty twenty? Yeah, was that on was that on a Friday night? Yeah. I uh I, I don't, those I, I've just completely ignored twenty twenty and I think everyone yeah. else should too. Yeah. I would say yeah, I don't think anybody would blame me there. But uh yeah, it's like you said, it's about money, it's about the, the T V slot and having a game in prime time when it was just gonna be, you know, one of a few during an afternoon. But I think overall it's it's tough because if you're the Badgers, you look at it, it's like, okay, we're coming into a Big Ten game with less time to prepare, but then you come off the back end, back end of it and you're like, all right, our bye week got an extra day longer. So I think there's a plus and a minus for the Badgers there. Um, it's a good thing that it's against Purdue, I would say, too, because for whatever reason you put Purdue jerseys on, the Badgers just roll that team. Like <laughs> Even last year where the team couldn't score, they scored 35 points. I know the defense helped there, but still – I think it being Purdue probably makes it a little bit easier for the Badgers in that sense. Yeah. I, I mentioned this in the open. The, the last time they played at night in Ross State Stadium was in 20 or is in 2004. Technically, that game started in the afternoon. It was like a 440 kickoff, but I'm going to just call it a night game. That's actually when this streak started. It was 15. It's been 15 straight since then. That game, the famous, you know, Kyle Orton fumbles and Scott Starks picks it up and runs it back for a touchdown. I'm saying famous, and it's now been almost 20 years, and there's probably a ton of people that are listening to this have no idea what I'm talking about as uh, I'm just thinking about that now. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a long time since they've they've beaten Wisconsin, and it's – I mean, I guess it could come full circle, and they could, they could uh, finally snap it here on a night game. But, you know, night games at Purdue are never easy. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I mean at Purdue is never easy, right? It's one of those – it's not yeah. as bad as the Northwestern or anything, but it's an environment that you've kind of got to bring your own energy and – uh, it's not the easiest place to play sometimes just because it's not going to be uh, the same atmosphere that you're, used, that you're used to if you're a Badger player or fan. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So we'll see. I, I know for media, uh, which obviously starts with the me and has an eye in it, night games are <laughs> n- are, are not great, but we'll make do because then you kind of get a little bit longer weekend, right? 
uh, right. Do, and doing Friday. Temple and I, not shockingly, we're talking about seeing if we could get nine or 18 holes in Friday during the day. So of course you guys did to make that happen. Of course you guys did. All right, let's get into spring practice and some of what we've seen through the first 14 practices. When we did this, so you were on with me on Kenny and Heilpern two months ago. We did our our spring bold predictions. I'm, I'm not going to go back into those, but uh, because I don't feel like we've hit on them very very well, uh, unless you think you have. I, I was like, the only one that I have is one I'm going to bring up when we talk about this. So okay, all right, I cool. think that's my only win so far. All right, all right. So uh, I I wanted to get your best offensive player, best defensive player, best newcomer. And then your one big question coming out of spring. Let's start with uh, the the best offensive player you've seen in spring so far. I think I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go off brand here and not just pick a lineman because that's usually what I would do. Even though Jack <laughs> Nelson has been playing incredibly well, I think. But I'm gonna go with Will Pauling. Mm. Um, I, I just think that what this offense is trying to do with its slot players and the amount of touches that those players are going to be able to generate each game, and without a ton of you know ability for the defense to lock it down. Uh, it's just become such an important position and the way that Pauling from day one really impressed and, and just made catch after catch after catch. And, you know, was one of the few guys that didn't have a case of the drops the last few weeks um, and, and was making plays over the middle of the field, even though he's not the biggest guy, I think it's just really impressive and to vault himself in that starting lineup and uh, you know, Probably going to be a competition still in the fall with Skylar Bell for that starting slot role, but I think Pauling's positioned himself really well there, and obviously his history with the staff helps uh, his case there as well. But I just think that he's been probably the most consistent and impressive guy, even though he missed, what, like half of one practice with a little bit of an injury. But <laughs> I, just, I think overall he's probably been my number one offensive player. The audible gasps from the field when he went down, because it looked it didn't look good. Like initially – I'm like initially that's 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 an ACL. He's done. He's done. And it's the best thing about us not being able to tweet because I definitely probably would have tweeted that. But uh, no, he he was just an ankle injury. He was able to come back and he practiced the next the next practice. But he has been fantastic. Do you think whoever ends up winning that that starting slot role will end up leading Wisconsin in receiving? Because I kind of do, and I I think Will Pauling is going to end up winning that job. So. Do you envision that happening? Could the slot guy be that guy? Because it, it has been the case for North Carolina the last two years, Josh Downs. Yeah, I think it's possible. I think the only way that that maybe doesn't happen is if uh, somebody like a CJ Williams or, or DK on the outside breaks a lot of those. You, you, you've been ever practice, you see them, but those like four yard hitches that seem to be kind of a staple where it's yeah. just quarterback catches it and fires it out there. Uh, if they break some of those and just kind of turn those into 15 and 20 yard gains, or break some tackles on those and make those bigger gains, uh, th- then maybe they're up there at the leaders. But like I said before, just the amount of touches, it seems like the slot's going to get. I think they just got the advantage to get the most yards. For sure. If it wasn't Pauling, um, I'm sure, because yeah, I think you could have gone with him as newcomer as well. But if, if it wasn't Pauling, you could say, you could look at a number of the wide receivers, right? And say, gosh, he's been really good. He's been really good. And outside of what, maybe a three-stretch practice, culminating with what happened on Saturday, Taron Mordecai has been darn good too. There have been a lot of different guys that have stood out at different times, but I think Will Pauling consistently has always, uh, it feels like he's always been there. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. I held back on the quarterbacks just because we had the newcomer category, but I just felt like the way that Pauling, I think I've mentioned this to, to Jake Kokorowski or other uh, football reporter at Badger Extra. 
like the zero to 60 speed and then the 60 to zero speed for Pauling is probably the fastest of anybody on this team. Just that agility and that start and stop. And when you talk about the routes that they're going to run out of the slot, some of those whip routes, some of the things over the middle where you've got to get going and then stop immediately. So you're sitting in in the zone between the linebackers. Uh, Everything is really tailored to his skill set. And Skylar Bell's learning how to play that slot. I think he's got a lot of the same physical traits. Uh, So I think he's going to be a factor there. Maybe not able to overtake Pauling in the starting role, but still get reps. But I I just think Pauling is just such a perfect fit for what they want out of that spot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, On the defensive side of the ball, who, who has stood out to you on defense? Yeah, this is where I think my my pre-camp predictions here are the only ones that I've really hit on. Is that Hunter Wohler, to me, has been the number one player on the defense. And I think it's in part because the position that he plays with that dollar package and the dollar position that he gets to kind of roam around and play at different levels and kind of be a ball hawk. I think everything is tailored to making sure he can get to the ball and giving him free runs at the ball. So he helps him stand out in that way. But I just think athletically and instincts wise, he's had a tremendous camp and you can tell he's kind of taking those steps to being that that X factor playmaker that this defense is missing because you look at you losing Herbig, losing Torchio, losing Benton, you're losing some guys that were at crucial moments, the guys you leaned on, like, getting Torchio to get get to the ball and get a pick or, you know, Herbig get a sack, whatever it might be. It seems like Wooler is getting put in a position where he could be the guy that gets both of those kind of positions or get those both of those situations for you. So I think Wooler has been the guy that's jumped out the most to me on defense. You are an offensive guy at heart. You're an offensive lineman in college. Uh, you, you love watching the offensive lineman. What does a guy like Hunter Wooler roaming around do to an offense and, and to an offensive line? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I keep saying to anybody, anybody I talk to right now, like I don't I, I watch what Mike Trestle does on defense and I'm sitting there thinking it from an offensive lineman's perspective. I just don't know how you call it. I, I don't know how you set up your line other than just saying, hey, here's what we're going to do. Block, you know, you block to the right. We're gonna, I'm going to block to the left and hopefully we're right. Hopefully we don't let up <laughs> a run through. Like yeah. I, I truly think that what Trestle's doing in terms of his alignment and kind of the the walk around of some of the guys, especially like a Waller and the inside linebackers, it's going to create a ton of confusion. And the way that Trestle creates confusion pre-snap is what I think Leonard did so well post-snap because I feel like Leonard most of the time, the defense looked the same at the snap, but then was doing a ton of different things afterwards. I think Trestle just flips that a little bit where he's going to confuse the offensive line into making a mistake as opposed to, uh, where Leonard was just, hey, you think we're doing this, but now we're going to hit you with, you know, thing Z and you're not ready for it. It's just a different mindset and a different way of going about it. But I think both are going to be quite effective whenever, you know, Leonard jumps back in. I was asked a question about this yesterday with, with some of the defensive principles changing a little bit with with the way that they are going to be attacking, the way that we've seen them attack, are they at a little bit more of a danger to, you know, it's either going to be a big play, you know, defensively or potentially getting gashed? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think there is maybe a, a touch of an increased risk just because you'll see times when they have these different alignments where like the inside linebackers are kind of roaming around and, you know, ideally they're supposed to get back to the gap they want to be in by the snap. But when you give a player that freedom and occasionally they're going to get caught and it hasn't happened a ton yet in camp, but we've seen a few times, especially against the run that, you know, they'll have an overload blitz off an edge that, you know, 
if it's running up the middle or running to the other side, it doesn't really work for you. Or I know that I remember there was one pass where they had two two rushers who seemingly ended up in the same pass rushing lane. I couldn't tell who made the mistake between the lineman and the linebacker, but it was one of those linebackers moving around and trying to confuse the offensive line that ends up kind of taking himself out of the play by not being able to get back to his lane. So I think there is some potential there to make some mistakes and let up those big plays, but it's hard to say more. I think it's just going to be more obvious when it happens in this defense as opposed to what Leonard did. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Newcomer of uh, spring. I have to coach Tanner Mordecai and it's okay. tough because I, even though my email inbox ever since Saturday, it's just been like, are we sure this guy's good? Like what, what's happening? Anybody that rewatched the, the big BTN broadcast of the game uh, of the scrimmage on Saturday, just gets reminded again, just how, how tough of a day it was for him. But yes, Tanner Mordecai has looked a lot better. That was one of the worst days I've ever seen from him. So to me, he's a newcomer, not just because of the throws we've seen, but, the, the way that other guys talk about him and the reverence they have is pretty surprising for a guy that showed up in what, January, no, early January to start working out. So I think that's a testament to who he is as a person. When we got that one chance to speak with him, Zach, I know we all kind of were like, all right, yeah, you can tell he's a quarterback, but maybe not the most outgoing and, you know, cared as much about what the media thought type yes. of personality, but I think the players really respect him and, and really seem to gravitate toward him. So I think those things are all why I would put him at newcomer of the year. Yeah. Again, him and Will Pauling have been the two standouts. I mean, as newcomers. So I think he could, I don't think he could have gone wrong with Mordecai as your best offensive player and, and Will Pauling as your, as your newcomer. Um, I think the other newcomer obviously would, that stands out would be CJ Williams. I was a little hesitant at the beginning of, of spring to sit here and say, yeah, he's going to be, he's going to play and he's going to play a lot. And then he had that one Saturday yep. where he went off against the second team defense. And it feels like it's always, it's been, you know, a steady climb since uh, he made, he made those plays. It gave him a ton of confidence and, you know, it's been, we haven't seen some of the flag drawing stuff that, <laughs> that were happening those first week, week or two of spring. Sure. Uh, it feels like he's gotten into a little bit better groove and, uh, I think it's clear at this point that he's going to play a ton this fall. Yeah, that guy's a highlight machine, man. Uh, we, when we do these observations uh, at Bad Direction about uh, each practice, so it was kind of hard not to just go back to, hey, Will Pauling made like four or five plays, and C.J. Williams made this insane catch over the middle and duked a guy out and whatever pretty much every time. But um, I think what Williams has is an athleticism that just hasn't been here, you know, ever at the receiver position because, you know, not just the recruiting background where he's the highest rated receiver to ever be at Wisconsin, but just the leaping ability, the the speed, the body control up in the air. It's just stuff that hasn't been here before and elevates when you've got the quarterback talent upgraded like they did. It just elevates what those guys can do because you see it sometimes on those free plays too, like Mordecai or Locke whenever, when CJ was playing on the second team they would just chuck it toward him and see what happened, which is what yeah. you should do on a free play. Right. But at the same time, <laughs> like better off, better chance than not CJ Williams is going to go up and grab it. So I just think that overall he's been um, like, it's a highlight machine, but then a guy that you mentioned once he got con- control of some of those emotions and it was probably the frustration of being with the twos and not making the plays right away in that first week of camp was what happened. And then that, like you mentioned that first Saturday, he goes or a second Saturday, he goes off. And I think 
that maybe settled him down a little bit and let him start just playing as opposed to reacting to what was happening to him. Yeah, and we know uh, Mike Brown, the, the wide receivers coach, is as active as any coach running with his guys and that type of thing. But mm-hmm. I, it feels like CJ more than anybody has gotten his attention and, you know, running down with him after he makes a catch, running down back with him after he makes a catch. It's just, he feels invested there. Um, and I'm not saying he doesn't feel invested with some of the other guys. It just, it seems more notable with CJ than maybe some of the other guys, but um, on defense, I feel like it was kind of like an under the radar addition. You just assumed he was going to come in and, and be solid. And that was Jason Matry, the cornerback. And he's been their starting slot. He obviously didn't practice on Tuesday, uh, but he's been their starting slot. And he's shown he's quick, he's physical, and it may not always work out great for him when he's trying to fill against the run. It's uh, when you're when you're meeting Braylon Allen head on, it doesn't always go your way. But his willingness to to mix it up has been a a huge positive for that defense. Yeah, I think finding a corner who doesn't mind tackling is a win but then when you find a corner who seems to like tackling like Matry does that's an even a bigger win so i think that's been uh, a good kind of feather in the cap in terms of the, the transfer recruiting and kind of the guy that you can tell fickle likes is there's a toughness there there's a mentality of you know trying to maximize every time he's out there and like, as you mentioned being the starting nickel there's so much space and we, we talked about on the offensive side with pauling how many opportunities guys in the slot are going to get in this offense so he's going, you know, pretty much man to man with guys like Paul and guys like Bell over and over and over. And yes, some a lot of times there are catches, but like I mentioned some of the catches Paul made over the middle, they're tough catches because Jason Matry's right there. And, you know, I, I think that against some of the slot receivers you're going to see in the Big Ten, uh, I guess I'd say average competition in the Big Ten outside of, you know, the Ohio, Ohio State's, Michigan's, whatnot, like, those are going to be pass breakups. Those are going to be, you know, incompletions because of how tightly uh, Matry is covering people. So uh, I think he's been as impressive as I think you could have hoped for. Maybe not getting the highlight interceptions or not having those crazy three pick days like Ricardo Holman the last few days, but just consistently being out there and consistently playing as well as he has. It's been pretty impressive. For sure. Um, we'll close with this one. Your biggest question coming out of spring and, Granted, we have one more practice, but I feel like a lot of the questions that are we have are, are still going to be notable after tomorrow. Yeah, this is more general, so I don't really know how it ends up getting answered until, I guess, maybe fall camp. But I think you look at the the top line on both sides of the ball here, and there's a pretty good team. I'm just really concerned. I think the biggest question mark for me is that there's not depth. I don't. There's not the depth that I thought there was at a lot of positions. Like, if you look at offensive line, the loss of Jake Renfro here with that foot ankle injury, whatever that is, that's messing things up and thrown to Andrew Bordellini in at center when he's not snapping well and they don't really have an option behind him. And I think you look at defensive line, there's still question marks. It was maybe it gets fixed when Varner gets healthy, but you know, I don't think they've got a good answer at nose guard. You know, however much that play, position plays, we'll see. But corner, um, we know they're very thin. It's really those top three guys and that's it. So I just don't think there's a ton of depth here. Um, and maybe that just takes a few years of recruiting to replenish and get uh, going the right direction. But I just feel like this top group on both sides of the ball is going to keep you in the game and win you a lot of games. I just, when you're talking about winning championships, which they talk about every day, like that's their mantra is we're here to win championships. I just don't think there's championship depth right now. Maybe it develops, but I think that's my biggest question is how does that depth develop over the next 
five months before you play a game or four and a half months till you play a game. How much is that, do you think, guys already on the roster or is it potentially dipping back into the portal to find some depth answers there? Corner especially, they're clearly looking at the portal because uh, you just look at the offers that have gone out already. It's been mostly in the defensive backfield. Otherwise, I think it's just you've got to, you know, center, like I brought it up earlier, like you guys either got to find another center on the roster, like a Dylan Barrett, just get him up to speed blocking-wise, uh, or make Tanner Bordellini snap X amount of snaps, whatever you need to do to make sure he's a viable number two if Renfro's not healthy. Because, like, yeah, you just can't have those plays getting thrown off of timing uh, with the bad snaps that we've seen throughout the camp. So I think it's mostly going to have to be on the roster just because scholarship-wise, depending on what happens in the next few days with guys leaving for the portal, they just don't have a lot to offer. I, I think they can maybe bring in two, three, depending on what happens leaving with the portal. I mean, they're over, they're over right now, but, you know, any, I think every time the window's open, you're going to see a handful of guys leave regardless. So I think they're going to lose a few more and then have a couple of, of scholarships to play with, but it's not going to be much. So I think it's going to have to be development on the roster. I think there are a number of guys that probably already have decided that they're going to the portal. They're just finishing out spring. We saw three guys that probably like, yeah, I mean, we're, we're not getting reps. We're just standing there watching practice, whether mm-hmm. that, that was certainly the case with Spencer Lytle for the most part and, and with uh, Vito Cavaruso and, and, you know, Julius Davis was hurt, but it was, it was smart for them to get out. And obviously the portal is open for another four days. Yeah. Closes it's the 30th. It's the 30th. Yep. Yeah. So it's going to be a pretty tight turnaround, but I will not be surprised if you see, five, six, seven guys head out and it'll open up some opportunities for them to bring in other bodies. But yeah, the secondary and cornerback is certainly a spot where you, you need to add uh, because the depth behind those guys is great. Like you like your young guys. I think they like the young oh, guys. Yeah. Jonas, Jonas Clones made plays. Jason Arnold has, has been better as spring has gone along. Obviously Amari Snowden coming in in the fall, but when Jason Matry went out on Thursday or on Tuesday, and uh, Almon Williams wasn't there, and Max Lofi's not playing. They had a safety, a walk-on safety, Bryce Carey out of Middleton, playing in the slot. That yep. that's where that depth is at right now. And obviously, that's you know you're losing three guys. How many teams are going to be able to deal with that? But they just didn't have another corner to put in there. So um, yes, that is certainly a spot that needs um, needs to be addressed. Uh, any other spot on the roster that you could potentially see them adding from the portal on? on I don't want to say I don't want to say running back, but I also, you know, they have those top two, and it'd be very hard for them to, I think, go ahead and add somebody that would make an impact, you know, because those guys are usually going to want a guaranteed number of reps. But, you know, Jackson Aker's been digged up this spring. Kate Yacomelli's been digged up this spring. Julius Davis is gone. Grover Bordelotti has essentially been your number three most of these 15 practices. Mm-hmm. Is that a spot or is that, am I just, uh, am I crazy? No, I think, I think if you're just saying it's, they like Jackson Aker and what he could be. I just him not being able to practice a ton, especially the second half of spring practices, I think was a, was a big deal in terms of leaving that question mark open. Um, you know, I think the, the position group we talked to today, the, the tight ends, I don't, I think they've been somewhat happy with the, what they've got, maybe somewhat surprised just because they're asking these guys to go from pretty much all, all the time in line tight end block most of the time and run some very basic routes to be very multiple, be in the backfield, be split off wides, be, you know, by yourself with trips to the other side. Uh, I think the, the ask has been very, 
big of the tight ends so far this spring. And it sounds like they're happy with them from what Nate Letton said today, their position coach. But if you are looking in the portal and you see a guy that's done this before and has maybe a little more of a route running and receiving pedigree, I think there's a potential there just because Clay Cundiff is a very seemingly a very good tight end. If he could just stop being unlucky and getting these drastic injuries every year, yeah. uh, you know, Jack Eschenbach's kind of the same way athletically has it. Um, but always hurt. Jack Pugh has been hurt early on in his career, even though it looks like he's got it from um, spring practice so far. So I think there's a potential at tight end. I don't know if you're going to use one of your very limited spots to bring one of those guys in. It's just uh, like you said, you, you've probably got one to two on each side of the ball and you got to be pretty judicious about where you're trying to add. You definitely do. And we'll see how uh, it plays out. Cause Obviously, guys ha- only have to be in the portal by April 30th. They don't actually have to choose a school by then. They have plenty of time to choose a school after that. And uh, we'll see exactly how it all plays out and Wisconsin's roster all plays out. Colton, uh, thank you very much. I kept you longer than I said I would, so I apologize about that. Um, but I do appreciate your time. Nah, it's probably my fault. I don't shut up very well. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right, there he was, Colton Bartholomew from the Wisconsin State Journal and Badger Extra. Make sure to check out all his work. They've all those people over there uh, go on down the line. Jay Kogorowski, Jim Polzine, Todd Majaluski. Everyone over there has done uh, just a ridiculously great job in following the Badgers. I think it's probably easily the most comprehensive coverage uh, of of Wisconsin uh, across the board in all sports uh, of anybody that's doing it. So certainly uh, make sure to check them out. I, again, really appreciate Colton stopping by and, and helping out a little bit here today. That's going to do it for the show. We'll be back tomorrow. Jesse is going to join me. We'll break down what we saw on Tuesday's practice again, and then we'll break down what we see on Thursday's practice, the final practice of spring uh, taking place Thursday morning. Until then, you've been listening to The Camp.